0: Listening to episode fifteen of Double Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper, written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter twenty-nine, Diurnia System, twenty-three fifty-eight, August tenth. You okay in there? Arletta letter was in her stateroom. I ran some cold water and rinsed my mouth and washed my face before answering. Yeah. I said. There was a pause. Are you sure? I released a handle so she could open the door on her side. Yeah, just a little more exercise than I expected. She was obviously getting ready to go on watch. Her hair was still wet and she was sitting on her bunk, slipping into her ship boots. When she got a look at my face, she frowned. Really? I shrugged and swiped a towel across my mouth. Mosler and her ponies tried to jump me in the gym, I told her and ran through the basic outline of events. She sat there through the whole thing without saying a word. You don't seem surprised, I commented, when it was done. I guess the surprising part is that it took so long. I'm certainly not surprised at the stupidity of it, she said, with a kind of bitter edge to her voice. She glanced up. Mosler actually said, girly man? she asked. I chuckled. Yeah, if I hadn't been so intent on the situation, I probably would have burst out laughing. Why didn't you put them on report, she asked. Two against one? No witnesses? They were stupid, but they were careful. I shrugged. I still expect to hear from Burnside about how I roughed up his watchstander. That's ridiculous, she spat, but continued in a more resigned tone. Typical of Burnsy, though. Yeah, he'll use the fact that I didn't put them on charges as evidence that I'm in the wrong. And you can't put them on report because there's no corroborating evidence, she finished for me. You got it, I said. As soon as the witnesses showed up, they beat it. She sighed in return. "'Well, a few more weeks for me,' she said. She glanced up at me apologetically. "'Sorry.' I shrugged. "'I don't blame you,' I told her. She glanced at the chrono and then slumped back onto her bunk. "'Not yet,' she said, as much to herself as to me. "'So you're the second mate. Any advice for me from your vast store of experience and exalted rank?' I asked, only half-joking. She pondered for only a moment. Why, yes, young Tsar, I have learned one important lesson when dealing with these kinds of situations, she answered in a somber and serious tone. I waited expectantly. In her most ostentatious voice, she pronounced, Ask Mel. It caught me by surprise, although it shouldn't have. I guffawed. She lost it herself and giggled a little. It was a musical giggle, and she folded her shoulders forward a bit when she did it. All told, it was a delightful three heartbeats. That's the best advice I've heard all day, I admitted, after half a tick. I leaned in to look at her chrono. I wonder if she's in. Bipper, Harletta said with a one-shouldered shrug. There's over a stand before you have to face Burnside in the wardroom. You might want to line up a few ducks before you get there. Good point, I agreed, and slipped back into my stateroom to sit on my bunk and compose a message. Got a few ticks to advise a junior officer, before dinner if possible. I sent it. The answer came back almost instantly. Right now, in my office... On my way, I sent, and, in that much time, it was done. I looked up to see Arletta standing in the door to the head. Her office right now, I said, so have a good watch and I'll see you at midnight. Thanks, Ish. But be careful, huh? I'd hate to have to break in a new third mate. Again, she said, only half joking. Am I broken in already? I asked. She shook her head. No, but I don't want to have to start over again fresh. She grinned and waved as she closed my door from the other side. I got on my hoofies and beat feet for the spine. Mel's office was in the engineering section in the aft part of the ship, and while it wasn't the same distance as it had been on the lowest, it was still a long trundle. Mel's office was right outside the spine at the top of the aft section. That whole deck held engineering control consoles, and I looked into the bay to see grav power and engineering watchstanders. It reminded me a lot of the bridge, except it lacked the armor glass ports. Mel waved me into her office as I crossed in front of her open door. Mr. Huang, she said loudly, how can I help you? I stepped in and made a motion as if to close the door. She looked intrigued, but signaled her agreement with a shrug and a nod. ''Thanks for seeing me,'' I said, and I took the offered chair. ''You got a problem, Ish?'' she asked. ''Yes, and I'm leery about taking it to the first until I can get some insight from you,'' I replied. ''You're the senior officer aboard, barring the captain and the first mate, and I need some advice on how to stay out of trouble.'' She snorted. ''On this boat, the only way to stay out of trouble is to sleep with the captain.'' She looked at me and said, so tell me about it. Having been through the story once already, it didn't take long to spin the yarn again. Mel nodded when I was done. Those two are not the only problems on the ship, but they're the dumbest, she said with a sigh. It's not like I can tell Mosler not to play with opponents on his stands off. I'm not his mother, and there just aren't that many people he relates to. I understand, I said. The question is more, how do I keep from getting into the position where Burnside can reprimand me? Leave the ship, she said flatly. If he wants to find an excuse to reprimand you, trust me, he will. It's rather a long walk back to Diurnia, I pointed out dryly. The left side of her mouth curled up in a lopsided grin. You may find that preferable if they've decided to target you, she said. Suggestions, I asked. Anything? She crossed her arms in front of her and leaned on her desk, eyes focused inward, face tilted down in consideration. The problem... "'Is evidence,' she said. "'You need to be with somebody who can corroborate what you're saying, "'or you need a record of it somehow.' "'Recording didn't help what's-her-name,' I pointed out. "'Alice Stewart?' Mel asked. "'Yeah, but she was trying to use it to convince the authorities, "'for all the good that it did her. "'You need to record it to show you have evidence against the bully boys,' "'she added pensively. "'Not that it'll ever see the light of a courtroom, "'but you might be able to convince David not to beat you up himself.' "'My hand went to my stomach almost reflexively.' I still remembered my last blatantly hostile interlude with the first mate. I could see in her eyes that Mel caught the movement, but she didn't say anything. Okay. Suggestions? I asked again. She shrugged. You're the systems guy. If I wanted to set up any kind of surveillance on the ship, you'd be the one I'd ask for help. There haven't been that many times in my life when somebody hit me with the obvious stick so hard that it left me sitting there staring blankly. Ishmael? She said. I shook my head. I'm okay, I told her. I was just thinking about how I might do it. You'll want remote recording, or at least remote storage, she suggested. She nodded at my tablet. You can use that to record sounds, but you'll want to offload the audio to something less obvious as soon as possible. She was ahead of me in the problem solving curve because I was struggling to keep up. If they're close enough to hurt you, they're close enough to break your tablet, she said. Poof. She sketched an explosion in the air with her fingers. No more evidence. "'Oh,' I said, as the obvious stick whacked me once more in the head. "'My brain finally ticked over on its own power then, "'and I began to trace possibilities in my mind. "'Hey, Ishmael,' Mel spoke sharply and regained my attention. "'If you're going to do that, go do it in your own place. "'I know how you systems people work.' "'She said it sternly, but she had a smile on her face. "'Next thing you know, I'll need a sweeper to get the bits out of my office. "'They'll be piled up in the corners for weeks.' "'Thanks, Mel.' I said, with as much feeling as I could. I appreciate the insight. If they find my body somewhere, you'll know who did it, I joked as I rose and headed for the door. If they do, we won't find the body, she said darkly. I looked back at her, but she wasn't smiling. She wasn't even holding a smile back. She just looked at me and then looked up at the overhead. That thin metal shield between us and the deep dark. Yeah, well, there is that, I said softly. I sighed and headed out the door. ''Thanks again,'' I said over my shoulder as I stepped into the passage and ran into a spacer walking by outside. ''Oh, sorry,'' I said, and I recognized him with a shock as that other engine man I'd seen outside the cabin. I looked at his name badge. ''Mr. Simon,'' I said. ''I should pay more attention to where I'm going. Sorry about that.'' ''No problem, sir,'' he said with a smile. He nodded through the open door at Mel and kept going. ''A pleasant enough guy, but I wondered why he spent so much time in officer country.'' I stood there for a moment until he'd cleared the ladder heading down into the engineering section before turning back to Mel, who was watching me curiously. "'One of your problems?' I asked, nodding in the direction he'd gone. She frowned in curiosity at that. "'No. Ed Simon is as nice a guy as you could ask for. Why?' "'I've seen him over in officer country coming out of the cabin, more than once. I thought he was up for a mast.' She looked thoughtful but shook her head. "'He's never even got a reprimand as far as I know.' I shrugged. The only people I've ever seen there on a regular basis are he and Bayliss. Bayliss? Mel asked sharply. You're sure it's Bayliss? For that matter, you're sure it's Simon? Well, there aren't that many people aboard, I said, unless it's somebody wearing Bayliss's badge. It was Bayliss. This is the first time I've seen Simon's badge, but yeah, I'm pretty sure it was him. Her face clouded. Coming out of the captain's cabin. Well, not always, I admitted. Sometimes just in the passageway there in officer country. It struck me as odd because they're both in engineering not like deck crew on the way to the bridge or something. "'Thanks for letting me know, Ishmael,' she said. She looked angry, but not at me. "'Is there a problem?' I asked. Her eyes met mine for an instant, and she just said, "'I'm afraid so, but I don't know what, and I'm going to pull rank on you and tell you to shut up about it.' "'About what, Miss Maynes?" I asked formally with a small smile. "'Thank you, Mr. Wong,' she said, with a lot more gratitude than I thought was warranted. "'I'll see you at dinner.' I thought about that all the way back to my stateroom. She was more grateful than I thought she should be. Which could only mean it was a bigger deal than I thought it was. Terrific. Chapter 30. Diurnia System, 2358, August 10th. Dinner was another of those painful exercises with David Burnside being a bore, Mel not responding to it, and Freddie hunched over her plate. His contribution to the dinner conversation consisted largely of chewing with his mouth open, belching loudly, and calling for Davies to bring more coffee. I wonder what David would have been like had the captain been at the table. My hunch was not much different. I was expecting to be braced about Opponus and Mosler, but either the boys hadn't reported it or he was sitting on the confrontation until he had me without witnesses. I smiled inwardly, thinking that he'd have a much more difficult time backing me into a bridge wing than he might expect. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice? Burnside burped once more, and, sliding his dish back from the edge of the table, plowing silver and salvers alike, he stood, and without looking at anybody, headed for the door. Later, ladies, he said. Long watch, I need some sleep. And he was gone. Mel sighed. He's such a charmer. I can't understand why he's not married. She shook her head in wonderment. Freddy snickered into her plate, but with Burnside gone began to resume a more normal posture. It was like his leaving took a bundle off her back. Any ideas yet, Ishmael? Mel asked. I was in the middle of a sip of coffee and I finished it before speaking. Yes, indeed, I said with a grin, but I want to check out some things on watch tonight from the big console on the bridge. She smiled. That didn't take long, she said. All I needed was a little incentive and a kick in the butt, I guess, I told her. Freddie was looking back and forth, and I could tell she was dying to know, but before she could ask, Penny Davies came in to start cleaning up the wardroom. You sirs, just sit right there and enjoy your coffee if you want, she said. I'll just get some of these bigger pieces out of the way for you. Mel drained her cup, and Freddie and I quickly followed suit. You go right ahead, Miss Davies. We're done here, and there's no good reason for us to slow you down. She stood up, picked up a load of dirty dishes, and placed them in the tray for Penny while Freddie and I followed suit. I let the senior officers precede me out the door and then started to follow them. I heard a tablet bip and looked down to see if it were mine, but realized that the sound had come from behind me. When I looked over my shoulder, I could see Penny Davies reading a message on her tablet and frowning unhappily. Something wrong, Miss Davies, I asked. She looked up quickly as if surprised that I was still there. Oh, no, sir, she said, just a little extra duty. I didn't really like the way she said extra duty, but I didn't press it. I just closed the door softly, leaving her frowning into her tablet. When I got back to my stateroom, I stripped down to boxers and tea before crawling into bed. I remembered, the last tick, to set my tablet to wake me at 2300. I needed to take the mid, but I knew I was going to need sleep before I tackled the job of figuring out how to spy on myself. The midnight watch change with Arletta went smoothly. While Juliet relieved Betts, Arletta took me aside. What did Mel say? she asked. I'm in trouble. I just have to make it difficult, I told her. How? she asked. I need to make sure I'm never alone or that I collect my own evidence. She blinked at me. How are you going to do that, she asked. I shrugged. I hope to have an answer before Burnside relieves me in the morning, I told her. Bette stepped back and Juliet stepped up to the console. I have the watch, Miss Novea, logged at 2358, August 10th, at 2345, per standing order, I said loudly. She nodded and said, good luck, very softly. When they'd left the bridge, Juliet asked, so... What was it I wasn't supposed to hear, sir? Mr. Burnside punched you again? Or was it about you facing down upon us and Mosler in the gym? She had a very straight face, but a twinkle in her eye. Why, Miss Jackson, I can hardly believe you'd stoop to such gossip-mongering, I told her. Why, sir, is that Miss Deng's job? She asked in return. The apprentice in question came up the ladder, bearing the customary three cups of coffee. Is what my job, Juliet? Or what are you sticking me with this time? Gossip-mongering, Juliet replied succinctly. Oh, yes, actually, I monger with the best, she said with a little giggle, and distributed the coffee. Was there any gossip in particular you need, or something you require spread around, Juliette? Mr. Wong thought I was trying to take your job, apparently, by commenting on the altercation in the gym yesterday. After long exposure to this pair's repartee, I was used to it. I wondered how much they knew and how accurate the ship's rumor net really was. Which altercation were you commenting on? Charlotte asked. The one between Mr. Huang and the Bumble Brothers? Or the lover's spat between Bayliss and Simon? Juliet grinned. Well, I was actually talking about the Bumble Brothers, but is there anything new on the triangle? No, nobody seems to know who the new boy is. They're keeping it pretty hush-hush. But they were spitting and all but clawing in the gym. There is trouble in paradise, I think. Charlotte looked over her shoulder at me, and Juliet followed her glance. What, sir? she asked. You look startled. "'Juliette added, "'Yes. Was there some other gossip you were interested in?' "'What happened with Mr. Eponis and Mr. Mosler after they left the gym?' I asked. "'Mosler convinced Eponis that he shouldn't say anything to Mr. Burnside, "'so they went down to Engineering Berthing and harassed Ballantine "'until she kicked Mosler in the jewels and threw him off her bunk.' "'Belatedly,' she added, "'Sar.' "'How do you know this?' I asked. "'Mr. Wong, there are twenty-eight people on this ship.' At any given point in time, a third of them are trying to sleep, a third of them are working, and the other third is just trying to amuse themselves until we get to port. How in the world do you expect to hide anything? But who told you? How do you know? I asked. I was familiar with RumorNet, but Charlotte Dang was obviously rated Spec 1 in rumor. I would have expected with only 28 people on board, it would be easier to slip into corners and hide. She shrugged. Well, obviously, some stuff gets away, sir, but the big things sort of fall out pretty easily. Somebody sees something and tells somebody else, who adds it to what they know and passes it on. At the end of the day, we've got a pretty good idea of what happened. The details might be a bit sketchy, but we know, for example, that a ponies and Mosler attacked you in the gym, or tried to. You did something to stop it, and they got out when Van Dalen and Cottonwood came in. I sat back in my chair trying to get a grip on what had happened. I couldn't count on that level of surveillance, but my preconceived notions of how much anybody in the crew was aware of the happenings on the ship were being sorely challenged. "'What makes you think they attacked me, or tried to?' I asked, after a couple of heartbeats. Charlotte gave me a look that was straight out of police 101. "'Sar, we're pretty sure you wouldn't have attacked them,' she said slowly and succinctly. factoid, they must have attacked you.' Ipso facto, I corrected automatically while I was thinking. You're sure, sir? she asked. I nodded. Yeah, ipso facto, that's right. But I think you actually mean prima facie. Oh, never mind, the Latin. I took a deep breath and started over. What makes you think anybody was attacked? Juliet and Charlotte shared a look wherein they shared the despair that all crew feel when faced with the absolute denseness of officers. Deng turned back to me and said, "'with no small degree of derision. "'Sar, it was Oponus and Mosler. "'The three of you were in the gym, "'alone, without any witnesses. "'Are we supposed to believe that you played Parcheesi?' "'The little spitfire was so unexpected. "'She just tickled me no end. "'Do you know what Parcheesi is, Miss Deng?' I asked. "'Well, sure.' "'She was quite positive about it. "'What is it, then?' I asked. "'Well, it's a kind of a game, and you play it on a board. "'With dice.' Her voice petered off a bit then, and she finally said, "'Okay, no, I don't. You're pretty close, actually. The only thing you're missing is that it's a long, boring game where you're trying to move little counters around the edges of a board and then be the first one to get all of your counters out of the way and into the middle. It's a very tedious and frustrating game,' I said. "'So it's a lot like being a spacer, sir,' Juliet said with her tongue so far into her cheek that she was in danger of disjointing it. "'Quite, Miss Jackson. Quite,' I told her with a straight face." They assigned it to us at the academy to teach us patience, but back to Mr. Waponis and Mr. Mosler. "'Why do you call them the Bumble Brothers?' I asked Charlotte. "'Oh, because when they're together, they're too busy trying to impress each other. They bumble around and bump at the walls. There's a certain faction of the crew that thinks that when they get together, the sum of their IQs is actually less than each taken separately.' "'They seem to be doing a good job of harassing Ulan I began. "'Yes, they're not exactly friendly puppies, sir,' Juliet said." Dang added, they're stupid animals, but even stupid animals are dangerous. They raped that one girl, Stuart, and they did a number on your predecessor, Miss Jaffe. We call them the Bumble Brothers, but we don't take them lightly. Anything else I should know about them? I asked. The two women traded glances again. Juliet nodded slightly, and Charlotte turned back to me. Sometimes they do things for Mr. Burnside, she said quietly. What kinds of things? I pressed. He calls them his enforcers. And when they get into that enforcer thing, they leave the Bumble Brothers behind and become laser-focused, sir. Juliet added, they stop thinking for themselves and just follow the first's instructions. That's when they get really dangerous. I thought about what they'd said for a good two ticks, letting it filter through. Thank you both, I said. Then shaking myself out of the mood, I added, let's get this place cleared away. You two have studying and I've got some tinkering to do. In less than half a stand, we'd finished the midwatch cleanup and swab-down, and the two women pulled out tablets and started studying for exams. I sat down at the systems console and pulled up an overlay of the ship's intercom and loudspeaker system. One of the things that got my attention when I was talking to Mel was that I couldn't be sure that my tablet wouldn't be broken in any attack on me. Using the tablet as a recorder was, therefore, too risky. I needed some other way to record. The tablet had a microphone... But if the device got broken before the really incriminating activity started, then I'd be out of luck. The tablet was also tied to ShipNet and could triangulate its position within the ship. Every space in the ship had an intercom for safety purposes. If I could get the tablet to track me as I moved through the ship, trigger the intercom mics on, and capture that audio into a file, then I'd be able to have a full-time watchdog listening around me wherever I went on the ship. I dug into the intercom controls and started looking for a way to remotely trigger a particular microphone. I flipped through several subprograms, looking for the specific coding structure and data identification fields for the bridge mic. I thought that if I could figure out how the bridge mic worked, then I could figure out how to control it, I could just copy that to any other intercom in the ship that I needed. As I zeroed in on the bridge controls, I spotted exactly where the control code needed to be modified for me to use it as a bug. Unfortunately, the modification was already there. Thanks for listening to Double Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. The music is a medley of jigs, eavesdroppers, both meat and drink, and Off We Go by Great Big Sea from their self-titled debut album. Find this and other songs by Great Big Sea at music.podshow.com. This has been a presentation from Dorandus, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 U.S. License. For a website and more information on the Golden Age, visit www.solarclipper.com.